My name is Judas Iscariot. You've probably heard of me. Yes, I'm with Jesus of Nazareth. I'm one of his disciples. One of those 12 men who were specially chosen to follow Jesus and learn from him. And let me tell you, it's been a wild ride. You wouldn't believe the things that I've seen Jesus do. Just shortly after I became his disciple, I saw Jesus change water into wine. No trickery, no sleight of hand. One minute, it was water. The next, it was wine. I can't explain what happened. But it was enough to convince me that Jesus was special. He was worth following. And it only got better from there. See, Jesus healed people that no one else could. Lepers, paralytics, cripples, demon-possessed. He even opened the eyes of the blind. The disciples and I could only sit back and marvel at what Jesus could do. But he didn't stop there. See, Jesus even brought people back from the dead. I know, it sounds crazy, but I saw it with my own eyes. The widow's son at Nain, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus. There was no life in those bodies. But Jesus spoke, and life returned. No one else could do that. Jesus was special. And then there was his teaching. Now, some of you may not have real good opinions of school or teachers, but you never heard Jesus. Jesus taught with authority. Nothing like the Pharisees and the other religious teachers of our day. See, I was like all the other good Jewish boys. I knew my Old Testament. I listened to the books of Moses and the prophets when they were read in the synagogues. But Jesus opened my eyes to what those books were really about. He knew them better than anyone. It was almost like he had written them himself. Jesus taught us that God was not just a God who was looking for us to obey a bunch of rules and regulations. Jesus said that God didn't care about how many steps we took on the Sabbath day or how many tassels we had on our cloak or how well we washed our hands before eating. He said that God cared about what was in a person's heart. Did they have faith in him? That was what mattered to Jesus. Not all the outward appearances. And let me tell you, Jesus practiced what he preached. See, in the three years that I've been with him, we've encountered a lot of people that didn't look good on the outside. Prostitutes, lepers, Samaritans, horrible sinners, Roman soldiers, tax collectors like my friend Matthew. All of these people, they're the outcasts of society, okay? The worst of the worst. And none of the other rabbis and teachers of our day wanted anything to do with them. In fact, they went out of their way to avoid them. But Jesus loved these people. He was always spending time with them, helping them, healing them forgiving their sins. He was incredible to watch. And it attracted a lot of attention. No matter where we went, crowds flocked to us. 
people coming from every town and village. There were a lot of times where the disciples and I, we couldn't even eat because there were so many people pressing around us, just wanting to get a glimpse of Jesus, just hear what he was saying or touch his clothes. And it was times like that where the disciples and I started getting really excited. See, our people, the Jews, had been waiting thousands of years for a Messiah to come. For someone special to be born who would grow up and sit on the throne of our greatest king, David. Someone who would lead our people back to the glory years and make us the most powerful nation on earth. Now, it wasn't going to be an easy job. See, whoever this Messiah was going to be would have to deal with the Romans, the most powerful and feared nation on earth. But if anyone was up for that job, it was Jesus. Jesus could be our Messiah. See, he had the power. He had the popularity. Yes, Jesus could be our Messiah, our King. He even told us he was. He said that God had anointed him to be our Savior. The other disciples and I couldn't wait. See, when Jesus took his throne, we would be right there with him. And who better to be his royal officials and advisors than us, the disciples? See, we had been with him since the beginning. We had heard his teaching. We had seen his miracles. We had heard his thoughts, what was on his mind. We'd seen him when he was crying and when he was laughing. We'd watched his back when he was sleeping. Jesus confided in us. We knew him better than anyone else. Who better to be his advisors in his royal kingdom? And I was especially excited for this. See, I was the logical choice to be Jesus' royal treasurer. I mean, I'd already been taking care of the disciples' money for three years. We, we didn't always have a lot, and we never asked for any. But from time to time, people would give us gifts of money, either to thank Jesus for something he did, or just to help us in our ministry. And it was my job to keep that money safe and to spend it shrewdly. Now, I'll be honest with you. From time to time, I took a little bit of that money for myself. Oh, come on, don't look at me like that. It was never much. Just a few coins here and there to pick up a, a new cloak or a little trinket for myself. Jesus and the other disciples never missed it. I thought of it as like my paycheck. All that work that I did for Jesus and, and as a disciple and as the treasurer, I deserve to get a little bit for myself, don't you think? And I made sure that Jesus and the other disciples were taken care of. I made sure they had their food and their clothes. I'm not heartless. Besides, the little bit that I took wasn't going to matter. When Jesus became king, we would have more money than we knew what to do with. At least, that's what I thought. But during that third year of Jesus' ministry, as we're getting closer to Jerusalem, Jesus started getting very sad and quiet. It seemed like something serious was on his mind. 
the other disciples and I, we, we tried to cheer him up. Jesus should be excited. We were going to Jerusalem for the Passover. There would be thousands of Jews there just waiting to make him king. This was, this was exactly what we wanted. This was the time to be excited. But Jesus' reply shocked us. As you know, the Passover is two days away. And the Son of Man will be handed over and crucified. Crucified? Crucified? What, what was Jesus talking about? Murderers were crucified. Thieves were crucified. The worst sinners in the world. They were the ones who were crucified. Certainly not someone like Jesus. Do you know that in the three years I spent with Jesus, I never once saw him sin? Not once. He never let a foul word slip out. He never slandered anyone or talked badly about them behind their back. Jesus was never selfish, not even for a little bit. Jesus was perfect. It sounds impossible, but I saw it myself. Jesus didn't deserve to be crucified. I deserve to be nailed to a cross more than Jesus did. Jesus' announcement made the other disciples and I very sad. We, we thought about trying to cheer him up and talk him out of it, but Peter had already tried that earlier, and Jesus had rebuked him harshly, even calling him Satan and saying that Peter had in mind the things of men and not the things of God. I don't know what that means, but I certainly didn't want Jesus to talk to me the way he did Peter. And the other disciples must have felt the same way. None of us said anything to Jesus. We all just hoped that the next day he would be in a more reasonable mood. But then the next day came. We were in Bethany, the town where we always stayed when Jesus had business to do in Jerusalem. Jesus had some good friends there. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And often we stayed with them in their house, but on that day, we were dining with a different friend of Jesus, Simon the leper. Now, Simon prepared a, a great feast for us. It was delicious. We were reclining around the table, relaxing and joking, having a good time. It, it almost felt like the old days. If anything would cheer Jesus up, surely this would. But then, she came. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Mary came into the room while we were reclining at the table with an alabaster jar of perfume, which she then broke and poured the entire thing on Jesus' head and his hands. The whole room was filled with the fragrance. But I couldn't believe that she did that. Do you have any idea how much one of those alabaster jars of perfume is worth? Over a year's wages. Just think about what I could do with that I mean, what we could do with that kind of money. What a waste. I had to say something. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Some of the other disciples agreed with me but not Jesus. Jesus had a different opinion. Leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing for me. 
The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on me, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Now, I could deal with Jesus rebuking me in public. It wasn't fun, but I could deal with it. What I couldn't deal with was Jesus again talking about not being around and even about being buried. It was crazy talk. A dead Messiah was no good to me. A buried king couldn't help my people. Jesus was losing focus. If something wasn't done, soon we would have no Messiah, no earthly kingdom, and no royal money bag for me to manage. So I had to do something. And this is where my story gets painful. See, I did a bad thing. I went to Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees, the people who had been trying to get him killed since his ministry began. And I asked them what they would be willing to pay me if I handed Jesus over to them. As you can imagine, they were delighted. They eagerly counted out 30 pieces of silver for me. I still remember that, that money, it was so good. It felt so good to hold it in my hand. 30 whole pieces of silver, all for me. I didn't have to share it with the other disciples. I didn't have to slowly pay it out for food and clothes. 30 pieces of silver that I could spend on something special just for me. It was wonderful. Now, I know, I, I shouldn't have done it. Jesus was my friend and my teacher. How could I betray him for 30 pieces of silver? But I didn't do it just for the money. I mean, the money is nice. The money was really, really nice. But I did it for Jesus' own good. See, I figured that when the Pharisees sent their soldiers to go arrest Jesus, that he would have to stop them. I'd seen what Jesus could do. I knew his enemies were no match for him. And once Jesus defeated their pitiful arrest attempt, we would have to become the conquering Messiah that we needed. And then his plan, or our plan, to make him king and to be his royal treasurer could get back on track. Now, don't you go staring down your noses at me. I can't see into your hearts, but I'm willing to bet every one of these pieces of silver that I'm not the only traitor in this room. Every one of us has betrayed Jesus. Every one of us has broken his trust. Your betrayals may look a little different than mine, but they're just as bad. Every time you lusted, betrayal. Every time you lied, betrayal. Every time you were selfish, betrayal. And even though you didn't get money for your betrayal, you got something, didn't you? Maybe it was a little bit of sinful pleasure or some self-gratifying praise. Maybe it was the happiness you felt when someone else failed who you really didn't like. Yeah, I'm not the only traitor in this room. We've all betrayed Jesus. Yours may not be written down, but they're no better. And just like my betrayal, yours probably didn't end the way you thought they would, did they? You thought that if you gave up Jesus for just a little bit, you would be happy. 
And maybe you were for a while. The pleasure or enjoyment or satisfaction that you felt probably made you happy for a while. Just like these 30 pieces of silver made me pretty happy for a while. But then you realized that the benefits of betrayal don't last long. They can't compare with the joy that Jesus gives. I learned that too, the hard way. See, on the night of the Passover, the other disciples and I were reclining with Jesus at the table. Passover was when we remembered how God delivered our people from slavery in Egypt. It was supposed to be a happy night. But then Jesus spoke. I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. The other disciples were shocked and sad, but not like I was. Jesus knew. He knew I was going to betray him. What was Jesus going to do to me? I remember the sweat rolling down my back while I I reclined at that table and, and tried to breathe normally. The other disciples pleaded with Jesus, one after the other, Surely, not I, Lord. I mentally began preparing for my turn as I dipped that piece of unleavened bread in the sauce, trying to keep my shaking hand from bumping into Jesus's. And then Jesus spoke again. One who has dipped his hand with me into the bowl will betray me. The one who I give this piece of bread to. The Son of Man will go just as it is spoken about him, but woe to that man who betrays him. It would have been better if he had not been born. Then Jesus turned and handed that piece of bread to me. My mouth dropped open. I stared at Jesus in dismay, not knowing what to say. Finally, I just repeated what everyone else was saying. Surely, not I, Lord. Yes, it is you. What you are about to do, do quickly. I got up and left that table, trying not to run. My heart was beating faster than it ever had before. Jesus knew. He knew I was betraying him. But I couldn't back out now. This betrayal had to happen for Jesus' own good, for the good of my people, for my good. And I think you know how the rest of the story goes. You're familiar with how I led a group of soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus often met with us. You know how I completed my betrayal with a kiss. The ultimate gesture of love, and I used it to betray. Jesus had trusted me, and I took that trust and shattered it into pieces. There was no miraculous escape from that arrest. Jesus knocked all his enemies to the ground, but let them stand up again. Peter tried to fight and even cut off a man's ear, but Jesus healed the ear and rebuked Peter. Even now, completely surrounded and outnumbered, Jesus was showing that he had the power to escape, but he didn't. Why? Why didn't Jesus use the power I had seen him use so many times before? I don't think I'll ever know. Maybe you do. And then there was the trial. Some trial. 
the Pharisees convicted Jesus as guilty before he even got there. They had no evidence to support their claims, but that didn't matter to them. They just wanted Jesus killed. And as he was being led away to the Roman governor to be executed, I tried to save him. I went to those Pharisees and said, take your silver back. I I don't want it anymore. I've sinned. I've betrayed an innocent man. You know what they said to me? What is that to us? That's your responsibility. They're right. It was my responsibility. My responsibility to cherish Jesus. My responsibility to love him and serve him. And I failed. I betrayed him. I broke his trust. These 30 pieces of silver, they can't help me now. I can't buy back Jesus' life. They're worthless. There's no hope for me anymore. So I'm going to go find a strong tree and end it all. His name was Judas Iscariot. My name is Simon Peter. Judas told you his story, but he left out a few parts that I think you need to hear. See, the most tragic thing about Judas was not that he betrayed Jesus. As Judas pointed out, we've all betrayed Jesus. The other disciples and I betrayed him. When we abandoned him in the Garden of Gethsemane, I betrayed him when I denied knowing him three times just to save my own skin. And you've betrayed him every time that you've sinned. But I'm not about to go find a strong tree and hang myself. And you shouldn't either. See, the most tragic thing about Judas was that he was so fixated on his own sin and his own guilt that he missed the love of Jesus. Even though Jesus tried so hard to show him. See, Jesus showed his love every day of those three years we were with him. He showed his love when he healed people and taught them. Jesus showed his love when he lived every second of every day perfectly, not so he could show off, so he could cover us with that perfection. Jesus showed his love when he went to Jerusalem Not for the crown that we wanted to give him, but for the cross he knew we needed. Jesus showed his love when he allowed himself to be betrayed and arrested and tried and tortured and crucified. It was all for us, for betrayers like you and me. We broke his trust, but Jesus did not allow that to tear us away from him. He loved us anyway. He suffered the punishment for our betrayals on the cross so that we could be healed. Jesus does not call us traitor. He calls us forgiven. Jesus' forgiveness covers even the worst of our sins. And that's what Judas missed. He told you about that night of the Passover about how Jesus made that shocking announcement and revealed that Judas was the traitor by handing him that piece of bread. But what Judas didn't tell you 
is the look that Jesus gave him when he handed that bread to him. Judas didn't see how Jesus' eyes were full of sadness and love for him, the traitor. He didn't see how those eyes were pleading with Judas to repent. Turn back to me, Judas. My forgiveness is enough for even your sins. Turn back to me. It's the same look that Jesus gave me in the courtyard of the high priest after I denied knowing him three times. That look brought me to tears and it saved my life. It's why I'm standing here today to tell you the rest of the story, the part my brother Judas missed. With Jesus, there is forgiveness. You may think that your sins are too big or too many for Jesus to forgive, but you're wrong. Jesus suffered hell for every one of your sins. He didn't miss any. He didn't forget any. Jesus died for them all. Jesus has forgiven you. The empty tomb is the proof. So my friends, don't let your sins or your guilt or your hopelessness drag you into despair. Come with me to the cross. Come see the empty tomb. See how every one of your sins was paid for once and for all by Jesus. See how he loves you. See how he has forgiven you. Know that you are restored in Christ. Amen.